Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome, Seekers, to podcast number 48 of God Beyond the Bible, the podcast by Seekers and for Seekers. And this should be reaching our listeners on Black Friday. So if y'all are out shopping, I hope you get some good deals. Absolutely. <laughs> and if you're hiding from the crowds, yeah. that's we'll probably what we'll be doing. I'll be I'll be around to listen because I certainly go. are not going to be out there. What about so our shout outs? Our shout outs today are to Alina Blevins. All right. All right. Thanks for listening. And uh, last episode, of course. It stands to reason was number 47, and it was on the topic of forgiveness. I actually have listened to it now, and I'm caught up. I've listened to the last two, and I thought it was a, a pretty enlightening episode. We discussed the emotional, spiritual, and physical health implications of unforgiveness or harboring a grudge. We concluded the episode with some enlightening words from both the spiritual and the medical advisors concerning the topic, and... Uh, we hope that that'll help some of our listening friends who may not be living life to the fullness due to some pain caused by someone else. Aaron, and today's topic is going to be on acknowledging the humanity in the Bible. So let's dive into segment one with a question. What do we mean by acknowledging or seeing the humanity in the Bible? Well, is that a question? That's a question. Well, I think uh, Tabitha and I were discussing it just a little bit ago before we came down to the studio, and I think that one of our difficulties, and we're going to talk about that in the episode, mm -hmm. but one of our difficulties we have with the Bible is we're trying to make it divine, and we're trying to make it all divine. Even though we all acknowledge it came through human hands, yes. uh, God may have inspired these people, but they were real people, and I think that we have to keep that in mind. That's what we're kind of, That's kind of the way we're going here. A few episodes ago, we loosely quoted, I think it was Dad or Alan that said, he quoted Rob Bell, who basically said, when we see or acknowledge the humanity in the Bible, we may then encounter the divine. And that's not a direct quote, but that's pretty much what he says. Right. So what do you think that means? And do you think it's a fair statement to even make? I think it's when we fail to acknowledge the humanity or the fingerprint of man on the Bible that we get inconsistencies. Mm -hmm. That's where we, we start seeing God is inconsistent where what we do is we, if we're making that work purely divine, mm -hmm. then we're not, uh, then we see an inconsistency in it. Then we think there's an, an inconsistency in the divine. Mm 
Exactly. I have Does to, that make sense? Yeah. I'm going to go back and quote Rob Bell once again on this. Oh, because, man. He ought to give us something for all the airtime. Right. Um, he says, when you realize that these were real people living in a real place at a real point in history, the Bible goes from being a book that you dread opening on Sunday morning to an incredibly immersive 3D breathtaking life experience. And, you know, and I will say that because I, when we started when I started this journey a couple of years ago the Bible was just so hard for me it was mm-hmm. so difficult and I, I was telling dad last week I even took probably three or four months and it may sound horrible that I didn't even open the Bible didn't want to read it nothing now that I have um, started reading it I start out when I open a book I see who wrote it I see who they wrote it to the time frame and that has helped me so yes. much. And, and there are some really good commentaries yes. that will give you insight. Now, you can't always take them sure. like anything else at right. 100% because some disagree. Because they some were disagree- written by people, people as well. By, by people, and they did some historic, but they had access to history. And, and gosh, guys, we live in a great age now to where we can just click a button. I mean, we don't have to go drag yeah. down a big book yeah. like I did for 30 years of the ministry. Uh, go drag down a big collection of books and dig through <laughs> for the thing. You can just write your question in online. And that's, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's just a pretty neat thing. It is. Well, no one denies that this collection of works we titled the Bible came to us through real life human beings. It is, however, interesting that some folks seem to either diminish the human element or else elevate the authors of the works of the Bible to a supernatural or divine state. Have you ever seen anyone do that? I have to use a quote from a tweet, and Tabby knows what Mm. I'm about to say. There's a quote from a tweet, and I won't use the person's name, but they said that it really bothers them to see people holding the words of Jesus and Matthew and Mark above the words of Paul. Because the entire book is the direct writing of God. <laughs> okay. I don't really know how to respond to that. There's no. nothing you can respond now, to. It. And let me go ahead and use a disclaimer here. We're not trying to diminish the impact of the Bible in anybody's life. You love to read the Bible. Great. Wonderful. But if part of reading any work is understanding its origin. Exactly. And understanding how you got it. Understanding the people, the real people involved in getting it where it is. And there's nothing wrong with doing that with the Bible. In fact, to me, I'm encouraging folks to see the Bible in a new way, in new light. Exactly. And and it and, and it'd really be a whole new a whole alive. new experience for us. Mm-hmm. So back to our original topic statement. We often read the various events recorded in the Bible with little or no understanding of the person or their cultural or spiritual backgrounds or learnings. Uh, Well, that's leanings. Leanings, sorry. (laughs) We don't have that kind of learnings. (laughs) Uh, My my printer was getting a little faded the time it got to these. I'm needing to change the cartridge, so some of these may be a little hard to read. Uh, Let me say, I just finished the Perosia. It's a Mm -hmm. 440-something page read on my iPad. And uh, just James Stuart Russell had some tremendous access to some history. And he uses, I mean, here's one of the things I want to talk about. It makes us think about this. We use, we, we have no problem using Josephus records. I've got a book. If you look around the studio, I've got a book of Josephus writings. Mm-hmm. Uh, his hist- he's a historian. We understand him as a historian. We call him a historian, and we trust what he wrote. He had no ulterior motive but to just write 
as he saw it. But we also know he was a real man. Right. Mm -hmm. Even though we lean on him heavily in, in the theological world, we lean on him heavily. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> we mentioned in an earlier episode that we often substitute the phrase, the Bible says, instead of saying Paul, James, Luke, John, or Peter wrote. Almost, and I've been guilty of almost, that. Yes, yeah, just a while ago. I did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> just a while ago, Tabitha says, now in the Bible, doesn't yes, it say? exactly. So, so in the Bible. Well, and it kind of makes it I, an entity of its own. It does. Rather it, than, we're seeing it as a single work. Rather than a library. Than a library or a collection mm -hmm. of works. That's right. Uh, in real life, if we were to quote something, we would begin by saying, Alan said. And the gravity or weight of the statement or declaration would be largely based on what the listener knew of Alan. Without realizing it, we would consider what Alan's background was. How was he raised? What geographical area did he come from? What were his cultural, religious, ethical uh, influences on his life, and etc.? Don't you think that's fair? Yes. The reality is most of us know very little about the culture of the particular era or the people of whom we put so very much emphasis, value, and importance on the things they wrote, especially concerning their belief on how God operated in their world. And do you guys think it benefits for us to know as much as we can about the person doing the writing and the cultural or religious or geographical and even the political and governing systems of the era that the writing is taking place in? I think whether you can see it or not or whether you want to acknowledge it or you appreciate it or not, the little, the couple little episodes we did on the dispute or the conflict between James and Paul yes. suddenly made them real two real people. It did. They weren't just mm -hmm. authors so of, of the divine. Here's one of the stories that really came alive for me in the Bible um, after I started looking into the background of the stories. When God made the first covenant with Abraham and he has him cut these animals in half uh -huh. and spread them out. Right, and then right. the image of God, the spirit of God, the light passes between the two animals. I had so many questions about that, but I just kind of ignore it because you feel dumb when you don't understand what's going on. But culturally, I found out that this was how deals were made. You've heard the term cutting a deal. That's how, it's, mm -hmm. that's how it goes. Okay, back from the sneeze break. Yes. And we've, <laughs> so we're back to cutting a deal. We've heard the term cutting a deal. That actually came from this culture when if two people were making a deal... Tavi and I would each take a goat out of our flock. Mm -hmm. We would cut it in half, lay it out with an aisle in between it, with some space in between it. Yeah. We'd both raise our right hand and walk between this saying, if I don't honor this deal, may I become as these animals. Cut in half. Cut but, asunder. Yeah. And that's what made the story so magically beautiful is that Abraham didn't have to walk between it because Abraham didn't have an end in this deal. To he, did, he didn't have any deal to make. God and made just, the deal. And the whole story explodes and comes alive when well, you know. The culture. Yeah. Just knowing the culture of those people. Well, with that thought, we'll pause, regroup, and return with part two with less sick sneezes, hopefully. <laughs> Welcome back, Seekers, to episode number 48 of God Beyond the Bible, a podcast made by Seekers and for Seekers. And today's topic is acknowledging the humanity in the Bible. 
And, uh, of course, we ended the first segment with the question of whether or not uh, there is any benefit in knowing about the author or the environment of the period in which his or her writings took place. And, of course, we all affirm. We think mm-hmm. we think that adds lends great insight into what we're reading. Yeah, definitely. Let's consider a modern example. If we were reading poetry or fiction, knowing about the author or period of history they lived may or may not contribute to the impact of the work itself. However, if we are seeking to learn of a true historical event, knowing the particulars of the author can be very valuable in understanding his or her perspective concerning the event. And you know, no one denies. I remember, I haven't mentioned this, but I remember the first church I ever pastored. It, I was really offended when I had a guy in the church that was visiting the church, and he said, I see the Bible is mostly a history book. Mm-hmm. And that offended me because it's like, no, you're discredit. Well, the reality is a big portion of that thing is a history book. It, it, it is. It's, it's a preserved history for a particular people, mm-hmm. particular race of people. Well, and when we're talking about the history and stuff, can you guys imagine how confused you would be if you picked up the diary of Anne Frank? And you had no knowledge of the Holocaust or World War II or anything else that was going on. Yeah, and would, you tried right. to read this book. It would confuse you to no end. And mm-hmm. we do that a lot with the Bible. So if we do any honest and objective research, we will discover that much energy and resource and effort has been exhausted in the past 2,000 or so years to elevate the Bible to this position of divinity or to a single divine work. And I think it might benefit us to go back and visit some of our earlier episodes where we talk about where we got our modern Bible mm-hmm. and we got it. the it, processes that it went through to come to us here. And, and you know, we're not making that. That's that's common general knowledge right. that I'm not sure if it's taught in seminaries and theological schools, if they understand that. But I wonder why it never makes its way to the pulpit hardly. No, I'm I don't just, know. I'm curious about that. Well, the fact is, the whole inspiration for this podcast has been to give revelation to this point. For millennia, man has endeavored to elevate the Bible to the extent that many see it as the sum of God. Or in other words, if it isn't found in the pages of the Bible, God hasn't done it or can't do it or never will do it. Now, the difficulty we encounter when we become transfixed on approaching the Bible as a single work instead of what it really is, which is a collection of works, is that we start to see inconsistencies in what it's saying to us. So if we believe the Bible is somehow in itself divine, we become confused because now, like you said earlier, we're sensing that inconsistency in God himself. Yeah, yes. we're starting to see inconsistency in the divine, yeah. if that is a divine, if everything written in there is divine. Now, we've talked about this, I think, when, I don't know if we did an episode on being this, but we've mentioned this several times. Being inspired is not the equivalent to being infallible. No. Right. I think... I'm talking about people more than anything. mm -hmm. To be inspired doesn't mean you make no mistakes or that everything you do, every thought you have is divine. I think any of us can sit down and listen to a song or read a book and go, this person had to be inspired to write this. Mm -hmm. And you might believe that about the book and go, but I still don't agree with everything they said here. And that doesn't mean they're not inspired. We see the humanity of the person writing bleed through. Mm -hmm. Our personality, 
our background always bleeds through the way our thought process, it always bleeds through in the things that we write, no matter how inspiring they are. I think, Tracy, you're number seven. But if we wrote, if we wrote, (laughs) if we approach the Bible for what it really is, this collection of works consisting of history and poetry and prophecy that was submitted by a host of different individuals of which were inspired, but very much human and influenced by the environment, the culture, the religious beliefs of their day, the Bible actually becomes much more real and inspiring to us. And we understand and accept the inconsistencies for what they are. A few episodes ago, we gave, remember, if anyone remembers, we gave the little example of uh, where Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Uh-huh. Well, we kind of got the gist of it. But then when we broke that, that down and learned that they carry a little gnat screener around with them mm-hmm. because they become defiled if they swallow a gnat. They right. even strain everything. They You see? See how different? Everything really is how alive it becomes. Uh, uh, one of this, the best examples of this truth are the New Testament Gospels themselves. If we think about it, if the Gospel accounts were purely divine, there would be no variation in the events that were chosen to be included, and each event would have been word for word identical to its counterpart in another Gospel. Do you think that's fair to say that? Yes. Yeah. If they were purely just came from, the, you know, purely utterance of divine. But we all know that what we have is quite the opposite. In our modern New Testament, there are four accounts of four different writers, all inspired to write down and preserve the events they, re- you know, as they remembered witnessing those events. Mm-hmm. And each one gives details of the same event slightly or sometimes much differently than another. Why? Because these were four real people who came from different backgrounds, which gave them different perspectives perspectives on the significance of the event as it pertained to themselves and the world in which they lived. And we like examples that you can sort of feel. There you go. Yeah. So let's go ahead and imagine that the three of us sitting around the table um, each witnessed the same event. So let's go with an automobile accident. We may all be standing at the same corner of the same intersection where the accident occurred. However, when the authorities arrive and hand us a witness statement to fill out, the fact is that the event occurred at a certain intersection involving a red car and a white van. But aside from that, the details may vary. Very much, yes. Uh, Perhaps Trayson noticed the traffic light is being red or green, but Alan or Tabby didn't include that detail. Maybe Tabitha thought the person in the white van may have been distracted because they appeared to be looking down as if they were looking at a cell phone. Yeah, or maybe Alan writes in his statement that it was his opinion that the red car was driving much too fast, and that was the main contributing factor to the accident. He may even include the fact that he knew the driver of the red car as a teenager from his own neighborhood and has witnessed him speeding and driving erratically on numerous occasions before. But one fact remains. The event occurred involving a red car and a white van. All three witnesses may walk away with very different takes on just why the accident occurred, and the people reading the witness statements may be able to put them all together and come to a conclusion as to why the accident occurred, or the statements may only add an element of confusion as to the reason why. I've heard people in law enforcement say the most undependable source of of testimony 
is the human memory. Yeah. Yeah. They say because the human memory actually changes. We don't even realize it. Our memory of an event changes as mm-hmm. we talk about it, as we discuss it with other people. It's, I just wanted to throw that in. Well, and, I, and I found that out. I thought, well, you would think an eyewitness want, testimony would be the very, no, but it's really not. They right. say it is the most unreliable. I want to give you the science behind this because I recently learned this because I love PBS. Okay. <laughs> they actually say that when you remember something that happened five years ago and you think about it today, and then let's say two weeks goes by and you remember that event again, you're not remembering the event that happened five years ago. You're remembering your memory of it from two weeks ago. Yeah, Brad Brad Brown was telling oh, me wow. he must have watched the same thing. And by Probably. the way by the way, we're giving that's our donation to PBS. We there gave, you go. <laughs> gave you a shout out on the podcast. But it's interesting. Uh, so as time goes on, if one little detail is remembered wrong, from that point on, it becomes concrete in your memory, yeah. and it just continues. I think, I think Brad said, you only remember your last memory of it. Yes. You don't remember the event. Wow. You only remember your last memory of it. And I thought, well, I can see why over long periods of time, oh yes, there uh, are people's lots of personal things. testimony about things could, could actually, it's to me. Mm-hmm. It is. Number 13, back to the Bible. Every single scholar agrees on one thing. All four Gospels were written at different times, but they were all written well after the three or so years of Jesus' earthly ministry. Part of the reason the four accounts vary in detail may be a result of the time lapse between the occurrence of the events and the recording of the events. And although each of these four men felt inspired to write down their individual accounts, None of them proclaimed to be infallible or divine themselves. They felt led to preserve the events as best they could. Mm-hmm. And with that thought, if you guys don't have anything else, we're going to pause to regroup and be right back with our final segment of episode 48 of God Beyond the Bible. Welcome back to part three of episode 48 of the podcast, God Beyond the Bible, the podcast by Seekers and for Seekers. Today's topic is acknowledging the humanity in the Bible. Well, we ended the last segment with a discussion on the differences of perspective we see in the four gospel accounts, because these were four different individuals who wrote the account from their particular perspective, which if you think about it, lends more credibility to the fact that that these events in the ministry of Jesus actually did occur. Had the personalities and individual perspectives of the four writers not been reflected in their slightly and sometimes very different takes on the recorded events, and the Gospels had been a word-for-word identical account, they would have undoubtedly come under much more suspicion and scrutiny than they are where the humanity of the individual writer is obvious to us. Right. Before we conclude our discussion on the individuality reflected in the gospel accounts, there's one other thing that should be factored into the equation. Only two of the writers of the gospel accounts were actual witnesses to the events when they occurred. It was only Matthew and John who were actually disciples who were personally present to witness Jesus's earthly ministry. As to Mark and Luke, their writings were derived from the accounts of someone other than themselves. And, you know, we never take that into account, do we? No, no. I mean, and there again, I don't want to get back to that tweet. We shouldn't give any more, but an eyewitness 
may be, but we're going to talk about it too. Mm-hmm. I like Luke's take on it because Luke was an investigative reporter, and we're going to talk about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And we cannot be sure of just whose testimony Mark is even recording, although a lot of scholars do lean towards it being Peter. Right. That was his source for the gospel. Well, mainly account. because Mark gave some details to Peter's fall and stuff like that mm-hmm. that others didn't have. And that's what makes them yes. suspect that it may. But we still don't know. The we reality know is sure. Mark wasn't there and we don't know what his source was. So Luke makes it quite clear that his gospel account is the result of his personal investigation and interrogation of the people who are witnesses to the events. We are to presume we are to presume that Luke went much farther than merely interviewing the apostles, but concerning many of the events, he may have even interviewed those who had been healed to gain their personal insight into concerning their encounter with Jesus. And I have to tell you guys, I felt really silly, but it was not until about a month ago that I realized that Luke's books were actually a letter to somebody. Oh, yeah. Theophilus. Yeah. I had never <laughs> occurred to me that that was there. It was an account. And in fact, Luke goes on to say, when he writes his God, said, I have read the many other accounts mm-hmm. that were written. And he said many, right? He did. And he told Theophilus, said, I want you to know that what you've been told is true. Yeah. yeah. And he said, and what I'm showing you here is testimony. I've been, I've investigated yes. this. Okay. So Luke then proceeded to team up with the Apostle Paul. And he gives us the historic account we call the book of Acts. Sometimes we don't tie those two together. Those really were part of the same work. In the book of Luke, mm-hmm. open the book of Acts, it's a continuous work. And most people, yeah, most people believe that they were just one. Well, they probably were uh, one continuous work. Okay, take into account that Luke never claimed, did you ever consider this? Luke never claimed any official calling of God or the title of an apostle. He didn't, did he? Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Only through Paul's writings do we discover that Luke was a non-Jewish uh, of non-Jewish descent, and that the historian Luke was actually a doctor. He was a physician. Mm-hmm. I think we find that in the Book of Colossians. Say, well, somebody said, "Well, I looked and I didn't see that." What Paul does, Paul lists the Jewish believers that are with him, and then he lists the other believers that yes. are with him, and Luke's in the other list. Right. Okay. Not many know that word for word in his gospel account and book of Acts combined, Luke contributed as much or more to the New Testament than any other individual writer, including the Apostle Paul. And I never realized that either. Everyone thinks of Paul because there are so many letters. But they're short. They're little short. They're they're letters to people. And these are, I mean, the book of Acts itself is extensive and the gospel of Luke. It is possible that we do great injustice to this collection of works we call the Bible when we endeavor to remove the humanity from it. If you think about it, though inspired it may be, the conduit by which it flowed to the pen and page were real human beings living in a real time in history, facing real life problems and challenges, seeking to know God personally in the world and culture they existed in. And it's important to keep in mind that there is a great deal of this collection of individual works that we know nothing about its origin or its authorship. As mentioned in an earlier episode, much of the authorship is attributed to a particular person purely by tradition. In other words, the writings themselves do not identify who the writer actually is. This is particularly true of the Old Testament books, where we may read that the tradition identifies Moses or some other person as the author, even though <clears throat> we know that Deuteronomy chapter 34, after about verse 5, uh-huh. that Moses didn't write that. Oh, do we really? 
Well, yeah, because Moses was dead. He died. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, I was going to say, how did you figure that out? I thought that was some real sophisticated answer. He was dead. Okay. There's one New Testament book that falls into this category. It is the New Testament letter addressed to the Hebrews. The author does not identify himself or herself. Let me say, I, I mean, we're just assuming it's a man, but how can we make that assumption? We can. The author does not identify himself, and much time and argument has been spent speculating who the writer may have been. Some think the writer uh, purposely concealed his or her identity, thinking that if readers knew who he was or she was, it might negatively influence the reader and reduce the impact of the message. This would be particularly true if the Apostle Paul had been the author. Paul knew how the Jewish believing community resented him because of his abandonment of his Jewish heritage in favor of taking the gospel and not just taking the gospel, accepting the gospel, but taking the gospel to the Gentiles to which the Jews of that day found quite objectionable. And we pointed out the differences of opinion of what made a person right with God between Paul and James in two previous episodes. Both men were no doubt inspired, but to argue that they were infallible is to argue that they were not human at all, but somehow divine something neither one of them ever made a claim to be. And we might point out that the subtle yet obvious discrepancies in the wording of the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer in the two Gospels kind of gives us an idea of that. Of the humanity. You see the humanity. Here's the one we all have heard. Matthew records, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Taken from the King James Version. Okay. Also Luke taken from King James Version. And Luke records, it says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven. So in earth, <laughs> Feels odd, it, it does feel weird. Give us day by day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So Luke's is much shorter mm-hmm. and worded. Worded it differently. Is. Worded yes. differently. And it really was. This is not translational. These are both in the King James Version mm-hmm. translated mm-hmm. as close as, as they could be translated, I take it. And we might also point out that Matthew recalls the model prayer to be part of the Sermon on the Mount, and Luke places it at a later time when the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray. This single point should teach us to recognize the humanity by which this collection came to us. And when we acknowledge the humanity, then we can discover the divine. And I put in here before the conclusion, tracing in a few episodes ago, I hope you caught this and wrote it down. I did. You pointed out an Old Testament example of, of this very thing where a particular event is recorded in two different places and one place it says God led inspired or led them to uh-huh. and another place it gives the credit to the devil that the so, devil caused them to do it. Could, read, could you yeah. share that with us? So I want to jump you guys back to Second Samuel chapter 24 verse 1 and I actually pulled these out of the NIV, but it says the same in the King James New Living it's, Translation. It's clear in any yes. translation you read. So this is Second Samuel. Chapter 24, verse 1. Okay. Once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he caused David to harm them by taking a census. Go count the people of Israel and Judah, the Lord told him. 
So that's pretty clear. Okay. Uh-huh. So then we're going to jump over to First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. Okay. And Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. <laughs> so David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, Go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan. So one says God inspired David to do it. Mm-hmm. The other one says Satan rose up and caused a census to be taken. So wow. which do you go with wow. there? Well, you know, it just shows you. So so that was probably two. Di- I don't reckon Samuel. I mean, we don't know who wrote Samuel or the Chronicles either one. No, we don't. But uh, obviously two very different takes mm-hmm. on the same event, right? Mm-hmm. Well, are we ready to conclude? I think we are. So. All right. Evidence of our divine creator can be found throughout the collection of works we call the Bible. However, to declare that this collection itself is divine is to cause error and confusion. If we are to experience the full impact of the Bible and discover who God really is and what he really desires for humanity, we must first acknowledge the humanity by which it has been delivered to us. To do this is to realize that the writers were inspired to pen the words they recorded, yet they were very much human, influenced by the cultural, religious, and social challenges of the particular period of history in which they lived. To echo the phrase by which we have been inspired to do this podcast, the Bible is not the sum of God. But to believe this is to say that God has remained silent for more than 2,000 years, and we are using this collection of works we call the Bible to limit what he has done, what he is doing, and what he's going to do in our future. So until next time, God's grace, peace, and love be on each of you, our fellow seekers, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.